Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will come and that you will breathe life into your word to us this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've uh, recently been listening to a podcast uh, hosted by an actor named Michael Rosenbaum. I don't know if anyone knows him. He's not one of the the Hollywood superstars, but he's most well-known for playing the definitive Lex Luthor on a TV show called Smallville that was on a little while ago about Clark Kent's adolescence before he becomes Superman. Now, in this podcast, he invites all his actor friends to come on and they talk about the acting world together. And most of the clips I've seen are of these fairly well-known actors complaining, sharing stories about all the difficulties that they faced on sets and in the industry through their acting careers, to the point that some in the infamous comments section feel like they're whining and have no business doing so because they've been so blessed with this fame and fortune and beauty. On the surface, it looks like they have everything. But uh, this host, Mr. Rosenbaum, does a very impressive job of giving them the opportunity to open up and share what's really going on on the inside. And I've come to realize that part of the premise of this podcast is exploring questions about mental health. So he recently hosted an actor named Alan Richson, who plays character Jack Reacher on a popular show on Amazon Prime. Uh, Mr. Richson was extremely candid in sharing his own battle with mental health that includes bipolar disorder. And he even shared how at one point he attempted to take his own life. Mr. Rosenbaum thanked him for being willing to be so open in sharing this very personal struggle. But Mr. Richson simply answered that he's not ashamed of it in any way, because in the end, we are all broken. Rich and famous or poor and insignificant, we are all broken. Today, we are here to celebrate the one who came into a broken world. And we see this in the gospel reading this evening from the gospel according to Luke. As we observed this morning, Luke was a medical doctor. He researched very carefully and interviewed eyewitnesses of the events that he reported. And he did so with painstaking surgical precision. And so, though we don't have any concrete evidence to prove this, it's highly probable that the events reported in the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel are a report from Luke's interview with Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's highly likely that what we read every Christmas is Mary's recollection of the events as they occurred. This morning, we reflected on Luke's report of how the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would give birth to a son who would be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and that the Lord would give him the throne of his father David, and he would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom would never end. But we also reflected on how all this happened in an obscure little town called Nazareth with no previous 
significance with regards to Jewish life and worship. It happened to an obscure young girl called Mary with no previous significance to anybody really, save maybe her fiancé Joseph, who was about to get the shock of his life. This evening, we come to Luke chapter 2, and we're told that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So because of some government bureaucracy, Joseph and his pregnant fiance had to travel 150 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we should note uh, here that nowhere in the Bible does it say that they traveled on a donkey. That's just assumed by tradition, as it, it would have made sense in those days. So it is possible that Mary traveled the entire 150 kilometers sitting on the back of a donkey, which looks great on a Christmas card, but I'm sure we can all imagine, especially those of you who've been through pregnancy, it would have been excruciatingly uncomfortable. However, it's equally as likely that Mary just had to walk the whole way, which I'm sure we can all imagine, especially those of you who have been through pregnancy, probably wasn't very comfortable either. So Luke doesn't mention whether there was a donkey or not, but the detail he does include is the name of these, the names of these Roman officials who governed at the time of these events, which doesn't seem to make it onto as many Christmas cards. And yet, it should be celebrated. Because he does this to remind us that what he is writing is the report of a historical event, not a fairy tale. The nativity, a word we use to describe the account of Jesus' birth that we heard from the girls today, taken from the Latin word for birth, nativitas, is not just a bedtime story that we read after twas the night before Christmas. Just like Easter, it is a historical event. And at our Christmas Eve service a couple years ago, We reflected on how the nativity, Jesus' birth, was nothing like the glorious, serene, cozy pastoral scenes that we see on Christmas cards. Mary had been told by Gabriel, an angel, a messenger sent by God, that she had found favor with God, that she would conceive and give birth to a son. And Gabriel had informed her, he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Yet we also reflected this morning that the blessing of being chosen by God didn't mean that her life was immediately going to be hashtag blessed. And nine months later, she finds herself very pregnant on a 150-kilometer hike. To add 
insult to injury. When Mary and Joseph finally make it to their destination, to Bethlehem, Luke shares with us that there was no room available for them at any guest houses. They couldn't find any room to give birth to their son, the Savior of the world. Now, while the Bible also never mentions a stable, so we don't know whether Mary and Joseph slept in a stable or a barn or a lowly cattle shed or a cave, Luke does tell us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. Not exactly a glorious entry into the world for the Son of the Most High. And so this evening we've gathered to sing Christmas, Christmas carols and remember this scene of our dear Savior's birth, the King of Kings laying in a lowly manger. Now I still remember a lesson from my grade 12 English class with our teacher, Mr. Young, and he taught us about connotations. He explained how words have meanings, literal definitions that we can easily find in a dictionary, but then that many words can also come to have added meanings, meanings that we've come to associate with them, an idea or feeling that a word invokes in addition to its literal meaning. And a perfect example of this is the word lowly. We sing it a lot in our Christmas carols. We use the word to describe Jesus being born and laid in a manger, in a lowly stable, in a lowly manger. But again, it invokes a feeling, an idea of a serene, pastoral, romantic setting of holy humility, worthy of awe and reverence. However, again, a couple years back at Christmas Eve, I shared how I worked three summers on a cattle farm, and how I got to see firsthand, up close and personal, the lowly manger, the feeding trough for the cattle. And at that time, I went into a vivid, highly detailed description of how a cow's digestive process, involving a considerable amount of regurgitation, made the feeding trough, the manger, Easily one of the most disgusting places on the entire farm. Again, a far cry from the glorious, serene, cozy pastoral scenes that we see on Christmas cards. They forgot to put the regurgitation on there. As the account continues, we see that things don't get any better. Luke reports, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, the report of shepherds in Jesus' birth story has also come to have a different connotation for us than it would have for the original readers of this account. These days, the shepherds also invoke feelings of this serene, pastoral, romantic, even holy setting. Or maybe we think of a couple cute little kids walking nervously onto a stage with a sheet on their head, a sheep stuffy under their arm like Esther and Fraser at our Christmas pageant this year. You may have a different image in your head, but I would guess the images of something wholesome and comforting. At the time Luke wrote this report, that was 
not the case. Shepherds had a reputation for being scoundrels, untrustworthy, even thieves, so much so that they were viewed by the religious authorities at the time as being ritually unclean. They weren't allowed to participate in any religious activities in their communities. Now, even though at this time they already knew that the celebrated King David used to be a shepherd, they knew that just Jewish scriptures often describe God as both a warrior king and a metaphorical shepherd. But this hadn't redeemed the reputation of the real shepherds yet. So added to the long journey they had endured, added to being rejected at the inn, added to Mary having to have their baby outside and lay him in a dirty feeding trough, added to all this, there were also shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Had Mary and Joseph known this, it would probably have added to their stress quite a lot. It would probably have added to their discomfort and disappointment in how things were working out. During my devotions this Advent this year, I read a reflection written by a former professor from Cary Theological College in Vancouver named Paul Beckingham, and he writes, The magnificence of Christ's coming is matched only by the squalor of the broken world into which he chooses to be born. A lowly stable's harsh textures, sounds, and smells. The rejection that stings the young woman with child as her hapless husband-to-be holds her up on a tired donkey, supposedly. What kind of entrance can this be for the Messiah? Why would God send his son in such an unlikely fashion? Well, God also sends the answer to this question. Luke reports that as these shepherds in the fields nearby were watching their flocks by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to these shepherds, these dirty scoundrels of lowly social status. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The greatest event in history had just happened. The Messiah had been born. Throughout Advent, we have been reminded of how long God's people had been waiting for this for the entire span of the Old Testament. And then when it finally occurred, the announcement didn't come in the temple or even in the synagogues. It came to these lowly shepherds. And Luke tells us they were terrified. You know, because if there are any scoundrels listening today, you might appreciate that if an angel appeared to you now, your first reaction might be that you're about to get into some serious trouble. But the angel had not come to bring judgment. The angel came to bring good tidings, good news of comfort 
and joy. The good news that a Savior had been born to them. For them. The angel then told them to go and see what had happened, saying, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor, his grace, rests. And these dirty, rotten scoundrels accepted the good news. They accepted this gospel and they responded to it. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what these shepherds said to them. That this good news that they had been waiting for for so long was being reported to them, preached to them by these social outcasts, the ones who weren't even permitted to join them in church. The good news about Jesus, that he comes to all including the plain and ordinary, including the lowly and insignificant, including the broken, the unworthy, the unwanted. He came for all of us. And so it is that these shepherds, who are the first to receive and accept and respond to the gospel, are also the first to share the gospel with others. That the Messiah... God had come into the world, the most important and significant event in history. Again, we can ask ourselves, what kind of entrance can this be for the Messiah? Why would God send his son in such an unlikely fashion? We are so blessed with the opportunity to gather here together for a warm comfortable moment to celebrate and reflect on the birth of our Savior. But we do so acknowledging, remembering that we still live in the squalor of a broken world, in need of radical redemption, that there are still so many who are not blessed with this opportunity as we are, whether for social or economic reasons, or whether because they have not received the good news that this redemption has come, is here. God sent his son in such an unlikely fashion at Christmas to remind us that he, that God truly identifies with the harsh realities of our broken lives here on earth. He didn't do it just to experience what we're going through. He came to fix it to bring about radical redemption. 
We began this year, 2023, looking at the Beatitudes, seven blessings from Jesus' first sermon, in which he shares that he had come to build his kingdom that would last forever, a kingdom where there would be this radical redemption, a great reversal, putting things right side up in our upside-down world, a kingdom in which there would be a radical redemption where the lowly and insignificant are welcomed into the most glorious and important event in history. Today we are here to celebrate the one who came in to this broken world to be broken for us. God entered into our darkness, sorrow, and death in order to lead us into light, joy, and life. This is the good news that the angels shared with those lowly shepherds. And it's the same good news that we're gathered here today to share and celebrate with one another. Let's pray. Almighty God, you've given your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him and to be born of a pure virgin. Grant that we, who have been born again and made your children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the same Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen.